first one mentioned, and we say this, you know, people in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, one of the things that they did was they worshipped God. They worshipped God. It's really letting us know that his heart was surrendered to God, and God received that heart of worship, and God was pleased with that. And so uh, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice because it was the sacrifice of all of him. You know, when we read the story, Cain withheld from God, where Abel gave all of himself to God. And we know this because it says, prompted or actuated by faith, Abel brought God a better and more acceptable offering and sacrifice than Cain by faith. He came in faith. And as we'll read in just a little bit, faith is what pleases God. That's what pleases God. Why did God reject Cain's offering and receive Abel's offering? Because Abel came in faith. He was moved in faith. And what is faith? Well, it is believing God, and it is believing him for the impossible. And when other people think it's crazy and it can't be done, that's faith. But here's another thing that faith is. When we are in Bible school and we talk about faith, we define it this way. It's a conviction of the truthfulness of God. But, you know, the Bible says it this way. We have to come in faith knowing that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it seems that that's the kind of heart that Abel came with. And so Abel came and he worshipped God with his sacrifice, with his offering, and with all of his heart. And God said, this is an excellent sacrifice. This is an excellent sacrifice. Well, now in the New Testament, we don't bring offerings like that anymore. We don't bring lambs and meal offerings and, you know, uh, we don't have to do trespass offerings or sin offerings because Jesus was the offering, Right? He was the offering, and his blood was shed once and for all. And so we don't bring that anymore. But what do we bring in the New Testament? Well, the same kind of offering that Abel brought, the offering of the heart. It's the sacrifice of worship that we bring. And it says here in Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, it says, through him, through Jesus. It's speaking of Jesus, and it says, through him, Therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. And we know that that's praise when we do that. We, we are so moved in our heart that it's coming out of our mouth and we're lifting our hands and we're worshiping him. And that's our sacrifice of praise, but it goes on. And it says there's more to it. Not only is it just what comes out of our lips, it's also what he's done in our heart that moves our life. And it says this, it says, uh, and do not forget or neglect to do kindness and good, to be generous and distribute and contribute to the needy of the church as an embodiment and a proof of fellowship. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Wow. So he says there's two kinds of sacrifice. There's the one that comes from our lips, and then there's the one that comes from our life, lived for him. Our life lived to bless others because we're so moved in our heart. So 
They worshipped. They worshipped him. And do you know that worship will build and grow our faith? When we worship him with our lips, oh man, we're feeding ourselves. We're feeding our heart of who he is, and it's growing within us. Our trust and our faith and our reliance on him is growing. I mean, just do the test. Watch the news for three hours <laughs> and see how strong you feel in faith, right? Or put on praise and worship and sing along while you're doing everything you do in your daily life for three hours and see how strong you feel. It builds our faith. It really builds us. So they worshiped, and that was part of how they got into the Hebrews Hall of Faith was that they were worshiping people. And later on, in the, in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, and it's down in verse 32, it mentions David. Was David a worshiper? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was a worshiper. He was a big-time worshiper. And in fact, turn with me over to Psalm 16. Here's part of his worship, and I love what the footnote in my Bible says. It, he was known for worship, and it says in Psalm 16, it says, a poem of David probably intended to record his memorable thoughts. I thought, oh man, see, he was a worshiper. He just spent his days thinking about God, loving God, thinking about God, singing about God. And it says he wrote a poem just about how good God was just so that he could remember and record his memorable thoughts. Wow, that's a worshiper. And it says, keep and protect me, O God, for in you I have found refuge, and in you do I put my trust and hide myself. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside or beyond you. See, it just does my heart good to read these sometimes. It just does my heart good, because then I think, yeah, that's right, God. You're, you're, you're my Lord, too. And you know what? You're the good in my life. You're everything good that's in my life. I have nothing good except for that it's from you. You know, it'll just move your heart. It'll build your faith. It'll, it'll cause you to remember who he is to you. And then it says, as for the godly, the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent, the noble, the glorious in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied to choose another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen and my assigned portion, my cup. You hold and maintain my lot. See, he says, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, what they say, what they do to me. Nope, Lord, you're my portion. You're my cup. You hold and you maintain my life. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Yes, my heart instructs me in the night seasons. He's even laying down at night just thinking about the Lord. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Wow. I shall not be moved. That means no matter what happens, no matter whether it's good, no matter whether it's bad, you know, good things will try and pull us away sometimes. And then bad things, they'll try and, and defeat us. They'll try and discourage us. But you know what? He says, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
The Lord is with me, and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory, my inner self rejoices. My body, too, shall rest and confidently dwell in safety. For you will not abandon me to Sheol, the place of the dead, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. See, just read through the Psalms a little bit, what David wrote down about God, and just see how wonderful God is. God is good. God delivered him time and time again. He was a worshiper. And so, you know, as we're looking at this and we're looking at people in the Hebrews Hall of Faith and we see that they worshiped God, we can ask ourselves, do I worship God like that? Do I worship God? Do I spend more time fretting about things than worshiping God? Because if we're worshiping God, then we'll be strengthened in our faith and we'll be overcoming like they overcame. These are keys that they gave us. They're wonderful keys. So do I worship God with all of my heart and my mind and my soul? Do I worship him with songs and with my time and with my life and with my obedience and with my tithes and offerings, with my sacrifice? Do I worship him that way? Well, that'll cause us to grow in faith. You know, even worshiping the Lord with our giving, that's, that is a way to worship the Lord. We worship him with our giving. We're trusting him. We're moving in faith when we give. And, you know, we put an expectation on God when we give to meet our needs. And we activate our faith in that way. So, worshiping him. And, you know, faith really requires that we keep our eyes on God. But what does worship do? It's putting our eyes on God. <laughs> it's putting our eyes on him. So, what a wonderful way uh, to build our faith is to worship. So uh, worship really is grounded in love. And Ephesians 3 tells us that. It says, let us be rooted and grounded in the love of God. That means putting our feet into the soil of God's word and of God, who he is, and really letting our, our, our self be planted and rooted in his love, knowing that he loves us. You know, a lot of Sundays I'll come up and I'll say, like, you know, God loves you. You know, God, we need to know God loves me. <laughs> God is love. And, and it's easy to, to say to somebody else, God loves you. God loves you. But we need to know God loves me. <laughs> that's when we become rooted and that's when we, we, we start to know, I worship you because you're good and you're the healer and you're the provider and you cause me to overcome. You make my life great. God, you love me. You know, it builds your faith. Faith is rooted in love. And, uh, you know, Galatians tells us that faith works by love. It works by love. You know, when you take something apart, you really see how it works and what the inner mechanics are. And the Bible tells us that faith works because of love. It works by love. So worshiping him, it's really showing him our love for him. But you know, part of worship is receiving his love too. And that's an important part of worship. You know, when we're lifting our hands, it's like this funnel where we're, we're opening up to him so he can fill us too. 
So we love him, but he loves us in worship. So love is a huge part of it. Um, love is the soil that faith flourishes in. You could say it that way. And our hearts are, are really good ground when they're rooted in the love of God. And I just imagine that that's what David and what Abel really experienced. They experienced the love of God. And so they gave and they wrote and they sang and they worshiped with that heart of love. All right, well, on to the next verse, and it's five, and it says this. Because of faith, Enoch was caught up and transferred to heaven so that he didn't have, so that he did not have a glimpse of death. He was not found because God had translated him. For even before he was taken to heaven, he received testimony still on record that he had pleased and had been satisfactory to God. Wow. And it says in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. So Enoch, what did Enoch do? He walked with God. So they worshiped God and they walked with God. And you know, that's how we describe somebody a lot of times. If we know that they're saved, they will say sometimes they're walking with God, right? Or if you know that they're maybe fallen away, we'll say, well, they're not walking with God right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a, a term, right? And so it says Enoch walked with God. But you know what? He literally walked off with God to where he was no more. <laughs> and, then, and they didn't even know where he went because he walked with God every single day. And he had such a close relationship with God. That means God was with him doing everything he did and everywhere he went. And his story is in Genesis. And it's hidden in the genealogies, but it just talks this little bit about Enoch. And it's in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, and it simply says this. When Enoch was 65 years old, Methuselah was born. Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters, so that all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God and he was not, for God took him home with him. God just said, Enoch, I love walking with you every day. <laughs> and this is just such a great part of my day. I think at 365, you're old enough, I'm just going to take you home. And he took his hand, and he just walked up into heaven, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But it's pretty cool that he walked with God every single day. And you know, sometimes we just pass over these things, but that's a huge part of faith, isn't it? It's walking with God every single day. It's a huge part of our faith. In fact, when days are good, we're walking with God and we're glorifying him and we're praising him and we're thanking him and we're grateful and we walk in gratitude. But on the days that are bad, then we're praying and we know he's got our hand and he's holding it and he's lifting us and he's causing us to overcome. And so we're grateful and we have gratitude. 
So that's a huge part of our faith, that he walked with God. And it kept him on course because he walked with God habitually. Do you know that there's nothing that is said of Enoch that his life went off course because he walked with God every single day? Oh, man, that's a life of faith, trusting God every single day. D.L. Moody said this. He said, I prayed for faith, and I thought that someday it would come down and strike, on, strike me like lightning. But faith didn't seem to come. And one day I read in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I had up until this time closed my Bible and prayed for faith. But now I opened my Bible and I began to study and faith has been growing ever since. You know, I love that. How do we walk with God every single day? Well, it starts out just like that. We take our Bible in the morning and we begin to read it. And guess what? We grow in faith and we start to apply that faith that day. And then evening comes and we read our Bible. And then morning comes and we read our Bible because this is how our relationship with God grows. It's through the Bible. It's through the word. And then it's through prayer. And what do we pray when we pray? Well, a lot of times we pray the word. We pray what God promises us. We pray what he says in his word. And these are the things we bring back to him. We thank him for who he is. We recognize in the stories that God delivered that person and he did this for that one. And he prospered this person. And he brought them, you know, money out of a fish's mouth. Or he brought, he multiplied the oil. Or he did whatever story it was. And then we have faith for that kind of miracle in our life. So that's how we walk with God. We begin to walk in the word. We begin to walk through the word and we know him because of his word. So Enoch literally got to walk with God. But guess what? We do too. <laughs> we do. And God shows himself faithful as we walk with him in the word of God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God still. And Enoch, you know what? It was just a simple decision for him. And I like how simply it puts it in his story. He was 65 years old when Methuselah was born, and then he lived 365 years, or 300 years after that, so he was 365 years when God walked him off into heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's it. He just made a decision. Like, okay, I guess I have a child, now I'm going to walk with God. <laughs> It's just funny to me, but that's what happened. He just made a decision. So how do we walk with God? Well, it's the same way. We just make a decision. We just say, you know what? I'm going to start today, and I'm going to read a chapter a day. Or I'm just going to start simple, and I'm going to read a verse a day. Whatever it is, we just start. And then we just we fall in love with the Word, and we fall in love with God. Do you know that's why Methuselah walked with God for 300 years? Because he fell in love with God. Love, faith works by love, right? Love is at the heart of it. So he walked with God. And that really begs us to ask the question, does my faith cause me to walk with God every day? You know? I mean... These stories are given to us on purpose so that we can look at them and learn from them. So does my faith cause me to walk with God 
Am I in habitual fellowship with God? I mean, that means that while we're driving and when we're mowing the yard and when we're doing the dishes and when we're brushing our teeth and when we're doing all of those things. You know, even just this morning, Pastor Mark was getting ready for church and he was in the bathroom and he's talking and he's always talking. And like, I think he's talking to me, but he's not talking to me. It's because I walked in and I said, what? And he goes, what? And I said, well, what did you say? And he said, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I said, well, who are you talking to? And I already knew because we have this conversation a lot. And he said, I'm talking to the Lord. <laughs> so he just, he just talks, I mean, to him, like he's fellowshipping with him. So are we doing that? Do we have that kind of relationship? And you know, one of the things that I love is that it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. But then it says about Enoch, it says, even before he was taken to heaven, he received testimony still on record that he had pleased and been satisfactory to God. Wow. He had a life of faith. He pleased God. Oh, wow. But it's impossible to please God without faith. And we have to believe that God is a uh, exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Wow. So there's lessons to be learned. <laughs> and here's the next one in verse 7. It says, prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned by God concerning events of which as yet there were no visible sign, took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. By this, his faith, which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence upon the world's unbelief and became an heir and a possessor of righteousness, that relation of being right into which God puts the person who has faith. Man, that's a lot of words about Noah. But you know what? It was a lot more uh, work for Noah, and that's what we learned from him. He worked with God. So they worshiped God, they walked with God, and now we see they worked with God. Noah worked with God. Where did he get the vision? He got it from God. How did he know how to build an ark? It had never even rained. How did he know that rain was going to come? God told him. <laughs> he was walking with God, and God told him some things, and he recorded it, and Noah began to work with God to build an ark. And do you know that that ark is a picture of Jesus? How they all got into the ark and they were saved and they got a second chance at life. And guess what? Jesus is the real ark that we all get into and we got a second chance at life. Jesus is the ark. And so he worked with God to bring about God's plan. And he got the plan from him. And do you know that it took Noah and his sons over a hundred years to build that ark and they worked and worked and worked and they worked with God and they never got discouraged and they never quit. They just kept working with God. Building an ark is hard work and when you look at the dimensions of that ark and what they say it would have looked like and, and been like, I mean, he did not have power tools. He did not have... <laughs> you know, the things that, that they have today. And that's probably why it took him 100 years. But <laughs> here he is working for God, working for him. And so 
Never quitting, that's a big deal. When we work for God, guess what? We can be continually recharged. Because what kept him going? It was his faith in God. In fact, it starts his story out that way. It says, prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned of events which were to come that were not visible, there was no visible sign, took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark. Wow, diligently and reverently. That means he knew what he was doing was super important to God. And he kept doing it in spite of persecution, in spite of it taking a hundred years, <laughs> he kept on doing it by faith. And faith strengthened him every single day to get back on the job and to work for the Lord. I love that. So I wonder if he even knew how important his obedience was. I wonder if he even had a clue, like the magnitude of this job that he had, how important his obedience was. But you know what? When we obey God, it's just as important. It's just as important. Whatever we're doing for the Lord, whether it's serving in the nursery or cleaning the church or witnessing on the street or doing our job with excellence to the best of our ability with no excuses, <laughs> You know, the Bible tells us to do that. All of those things are important because we also work for the Lord. And our faith comes through as we're working for the Lord. And in Luke 17, 26, it tells us this about the last days and the second coming of Jesus. It says, and just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the time of the Son of Man. People ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage right up until the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and he destroyed them all. And so also it was the same as it was in the days of Lot. People ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the very day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and it destroyed them all. That is the way it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed." How important is it that we keep working for the Lord? Because it's super important, because the rest of the world is unaware. <laughs> We're the only ones that have the inside story that Jesus is coming back and that he wants his house full and that he wants his dinner to be well attended by everybody who's out there. So we need to invite everyone to come in, right? So we have an important job. And People of faith work with God. They work with God. And that's what we learn from Noah. We are vessels for his vision. And we live to serve him. And that's what Noah did. He spent his life serving God and building that ark. And then uh, when deliverance came for his family, he began rebuilding for God. So Noah had a big job. So he was a man of faith, and he's in the Hebrews Heroes Hall of Faith. But then it goes on, and verse 8, it talks about another. And it says, urged on by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed 
and he went forth to a place that he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go. So God told him, I'm going to take you to a different place and you're going to go. And he packed up his stuff and he went. And it says he didn't even trouble his mind about where he was to go. He trusted God that much. Wow. Prompted by faith, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land which was designated in the promise of God. Though he was like a stranger in a strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs with him of the same promise. For he was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward to a city which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And because of faith, also Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child, even when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God, who had given her the promise, to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. So from one man, though he was physically as good as dead, <laughs> there's a testimony, <laughs> there have sprung descendants who, whose number is as the stars of heaven and as countless as the innumerable sands on the seashore. These people all died controlled and sustained by their faith, but not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen it and greeted it from a great distance by faith, and the whole, the while acknowledging and confessing that they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon the earth. Now those people who talk as they did show plainly that they are in search of a fatherland, their own country. If they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. But the truth is, they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and more desirable country. That is a heavenly one. For the reason God is not ashamed to be called their God, even to be surnamed their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, I think I turned two pages. He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was put to the test, while the testing of his faith was still in progress, he had already brought Isaac for an offering, who had gladly received and welcomed God's promise and was ready to sacrifice his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your descendants be reckoned. For he reasoned that God was able to raise him even from among the dead, indeed, in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, potentially sacrificed. He did actually receive him back from the dead. See, God counted his obedience as faith. And he said, I, I reckoned him dead the minute that you said you would do it. And he, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So what is it here? Well, from Abraham and Sarah, we learn that they obeyed the word of God. 
They went on the word of God. They listened to the word of God. They waited for the word to happen. They obeyed the word of God. And I love what it says about them here. Because, you know, all these people that we're reading about in this Hebrews hall of faith, we know they made mistakes. We know that they had times where maybe they weren't 100% in faith. But what's recorded about them? It's their victories. That's what's recorded. God says, I'm looking at the times that you did it. <laughs> I'm looking at the times that you believed. I'm looking at the times that you overcame. It's not even once mentioned here about that whole Hagar incident, you know? <laughs> not even once. <laughs> it says that they had faith, faith, and more faith because they overcame. They overcame all of those things. And it says here that they didn't have a bunch of anxious thoughts, but they kept faith alive by what they said. And you know, Romans tells us that. It says that they were strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Romans tells us that. Strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Well, it'll strengthen our faith. How do we obey the word of God? when it seems like it's put off into the distance, when it seems like it's not happening, how do we stick to that word of God? Well, I'll tell you, you keep rehearsing that promise. You keep on rehearsing that promise. And as we rehearse that promise, we get the promise in sight, then we begin to believe God and stand in faith for that promise. We don't focus on it's taking so long. We don't focus on, but where are we going, God? <laughs> You know, if it was me, I would have a really difficult time with that. I have a hard time not knowing where I'm going. I have a hard time not being in control of anything. So anyway, <laughs> just talk to Pastor Mark about that. <laughs> anyway, they kept their, their, what they were saying in line with what God promised. And they obeyed the word of God. So here's another one. Let's go to the next one. We are running out of time rapidly. Maybe we'll have part two. <laughs> it says in verse 20, with eyes full of faith, Isaac, looking far off into the future, invoked blessings upon Jacob and Esau. And prompted by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in prayer over the top of his staff. Actuated by faith, Joseph when nearing the end of his life, referred to the promise of God for the departure of the Israelites out of Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his own bones. Here's three guys, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And they're all related, and they're, you know, Abraham's descendants. And what do we learn from them? They waited on God, and they saw with eyes of faith. They waited. They looked to the future. They saw with eyes of faith. And therefore, they blessed their children and they sent them into the future that God said. Do you know God gave them promises that were not fulfilled in their lifetime? In their lifetime. But they sent that promise on with their kids and they looked with eyes of faith. And I love that. And just let's look at just one of them for a second. Joseph. Joseph, what's he known as? The dreamer. But actually, he had visions from God. And those visions uh, kept him through all of the things that happened in his life. I mean, it looked like it was disaster after disaster. He was sold into slavery. He was you know, thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, in jail, unjustly. And then finally, he comes out, and it looks like things are happening. And Joseph 
actually his family comes and his family comes and he says to them these words. He says, do not be mad at yourself for what you did to me. I actually see myself as one sent ahead by God to preserve life. Oh my goodness. Talk about somebody who cannot be defeated <laughs> and who never quit, not anywhere along the line. Joseph is one. He waited on God. When it looked like the dreams were not happening, he waited on God. And even at the end, he said, I think God planned all of this to position me in the right place for today. Amen. Wow. Oh, man, that's faith. That is some big faith. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting to hear Joseph's perspective on that. Because sometimes we have things happen to us and we look back and we go, oh man, this happened and that happened and this happened and it seemed like nothing went right. But Joseph says, no, actually, I think God's hand was on me the whole time. He moved me from this place to that place to this place so that I could be one positioned to preserve life. Wow. So we learn a lot from these people of faith. They worshiped God. They walked with God. They worked with God. They obeyed the word of God. They waited on God. But one thing we know, and we just read it, they were rewarded by God, but they never saw the ultimate promise. Do you know what the ultimate promise was? It was Jesus. And we are the only ones that see the ultimate promise. We're the only ones. We, God says further down in the chapter, he did not want them to overcome and to uh, miss out and, and, and receive something that we, were, that, that we should receive. And so God says that we are also partakers. They, they have received nothing better than what is promised for us in Jesus. They did not get something greater than us, and get to see all the miracles. No, nope. in Christ, every one of our needs is met, and we get to see miracles every day if we have the same kind of faith. So we want to build our faith. We want to learn from the people of faith, and we probably will come back to this and finish this chapter on faith and uh, uh, just take it into that part where we received the name and the blood. And through the name and the blood, there is nothing that we cannot have. That God gave them that we cannot have. So, let's stop there for tonight. That's enough. And uh, we'll come back to this. God is good. Amen. And he gave us these stories so that we could learn from them. And I encourage you, in your time of walking with God through the word, go to these stories. Go to them. You know, it's, it's amazing how uh, people today, and, you know, we were just talking about Awanas. Um, I was talking with Molly and Brad about Awanas. And um, Awanas is so good because the kids learn all these stories. They learn who these people are. And they learn songs and stories and scriptures. And they learn to trust God. But a lot of us didn't get to go through something like that. And so as adults, we're learning to trust God. But go to these stories because, man, they are faith builders for us. They're faith builders of what God did before, and he'll do it again. And he really will do it again. So 
Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me?